Welcome to Toronto Under Construction, a podcast about everything Toronto real estate. Welcome to Toronto Under Construction, a podcast about everything Toronto real estate. I'm Ben Myers with my co-host, Mr. Stephen Cameron, the one Stevie C on Twitter. How you doing? Doing all right. The one Stevie C on Twitter is doing pretty well this week. Yeah, you, you see that? Getting some followers. I actually had a uh, my most liked tweet, believe it or not, it had nothing to do with real estate. I commented on Sid Sixero's top five chip brands. <laughs> Because apparently last week was National Potato Chip Day. And one of my favorite chips was Doritos Cool Ranch. And I got like destroyed by the Twitter world because (laughs) Doritos are not a potato chip. They're a corn chip. And I just got annihilated. Like 190 people liked or commented. First of all, a lot of them liked my top five, which I thought were pretty stellar top five. But uh, the whole Dorito thing really threw. uh, uh, And then I said honorable mention to Ringolos. Ringolos, also not a potato chip. I just, I took a Twitter beating. I took a beating. Well, well, I am always taking a Twitter beating because I'm, uh, you know, quote tweeting anti-housing people. But here's your segue. <laughs> ben, we're we definitely do not have anti-housing people on this podcast. Uh, this podcast, which is sponsored by Nizo Studios, the award-winning Nizo Studios. It's the premier one-stop digital studio for all your architectural visualization and scale model needs. Nizo can also help market your project and launch your sales center physically or virtually. Visit nizostudios.com and ask about LiveSite, their virtual sales center software. It's a media darling taking the building's industry sales process by storm. So, Steve. Yeah. We have a guest. (laughs) Do we ever? And quite the guest we have, actually sitting in his uh, loft office in Forest Hill. Socially distanced. Socially distanced, of course, but back together in person. It's really nice uh, that we've been hosted here um, with a gentleman with over 25 years of development experience. Since the inception of Free Developments, the company has grown to become one of the largest private developers operating in the city of Toronto. Under Peter's leadership, the company has completed over 30 projects and has expanded to include key vertical operating divisions such as FirstCon Group Limited, the company's construction management division, PSR Realty, the company's new sale and resale brokerage, and Freed Hospitality, a lifestyle experience, hotel, resort, restaurant, and nightlife portfolio. Freed has been recognized with countless awards from the development community, recognizing the company for its design-based development, which differentiates a Freed building from all others in the city. The investment portfolio includes a robust development pipeline, which will allow for tremendous growth for the company going forward. With over 1,200 units sold, Freed Development... 1,200. 12,000. Good catch. (laughs) Thanks, thanks, Steve. (laughs) Has over nearly $1 billion in developments. Under his belt. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. That's a 10, folks. Yeah, 10 you're B. really good with numbers, Steve. You're really, you're really tight. What did I say? You're running a tight ship. He said one. Yeah. And you're in the finance business. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Peter Free. Here he is. All right. Hey, how are you? All right. So not my finest hour on the intro, but. That's great. You know That's what? Great. It's what happens when you pop a bottle of Camus right before you get started. And uh, 
the conversation becomes fluid right away. Anyways, Peter, thanks for joining us. No, pleasure. Thanks for having us to uh, oh, my pleasure. To uh, your home and, and to this beautiful office, to the library, or what do you call it? Toronto's oldest book collection? Yeah, it's a big book collection on Toronto. Yeah, there's got to be uh, a couple hundred books in here. 2,000. You're still, your math's real tight. I'm off. Yeah. Yeah. You're missing a zero. <laughs> that's that's your, your theme today, but that's okay. I'm a modest guy, you know? I don't like to add the extra zero. And uh, So how's it going? Feeling good? Yeah, it's going well. Doing well? Yeah, Busy as ever? Life's good. Busy as ever. Working from home for Kids. the most part? Uh, back and forth. Um, kids are in school, back in school again. So, yeah, which is nice. Um, you know, 60% towards normal. Hopefully the year will uh, fill out the next 40%. Yeah, but we'll see. we're all hoping so. Well, we like to uh, go in a chronological order, maybe uh, start at the dropout of university. You're, uh, That's my favorite you're, part. You're, uh, you're a, a toilet paper salesman, uh, and then you start building homes in Markham. Why don't you, would you give us, the, the, give us how that came about? Gra- grassroots, yeah. So went to McGill for about half an hour. <laughs> a cup of coffee uh, at McGill? Cup you know, coffee. Loved Montreal. Went to Peel Pub and some other fun places. Um, great school, but I, um, I miss Toronto a lot when I went there. I met a few um, young guys who had started a business selling paper and uh, other products to buildings and restaurants. And um, they were like 20 years old when I met them. I was, I was 18. And they had built up a business. Uh, uh, they were they were doing a million or two, you know, a year in sales, and you know wow. when you're when you're 18 at university, you have like 300 bucks in your bank account. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I was pretty uh, intrigued, and I always wanted to have my own business. I knew I didn't want to be a lawyer, doctor, banker. Um, I was really just uh, enjoying that time of my life. Um, so long story short, after my first year at McGill, I I moved back to Toronto and um, left university for a while and started a, a supply company of my own. And yes, we sold lots of toilet paper and hand towels <laughs> and cleaning chemicals and garbage bags and things like that. That cleaning chemical business would have been uh, pretty profitable the last 12 months. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I missed that part though. Yeah. I, was, I was ahead, ahead of the curve there. But, <laughs> yeah. but anyway, um, you know, I grew it into a, a similar size business to, to the gentleman who introduced me to that business over a couple year period, but I woke up one day and didn't enjoy it that much. And I really wanted to learn how to build homes. Um, I'd grown up as a kid with some friends, families who had been in the real estate development business, house building business. And um, I had an opportunity from someone to um, work on a construction site um, for geranium homes, actually, uh, oh, nice. as, as a laborer. Nice. So I. Your, do you remember who your boss was, or who was the? Sorry, yeah, Ami. Ami, like Barry Finer, Earl Rahm, yeah. and Ami at the time. Wow. And uh, I was, I guess, twenty. We took a flyer on the kid. Twenty years old. I, I was on a site in Whitby, yeah. and we built twenty houses. And um, I did that for about six months. And for the first three months, I didn't get paid. Like basically, I wanted to learn, and they said. You know, we don't need another laborer, but if you want to work on the site for free for three months, um, you know, if you do a good job, we can talk about giving you a paycheck after three months. So I was uh, on the site working hard for free for three months. And then um, uh, I then got paid, I don't know, 500 bucks a week for another two or three months. And then I kind of had enough of that. So I left. (laughs) 
And I had a break uh, through a friend, uh, introduced me to um, uh, Rudy Brady and the Brady family. And um, nice Mark, Mark, uh, yeah, Mark Brady and I uh, started a, a home building company called State Park Homes in uh, 1993 with his father. And I site supered, did all the trade contracts, worked in, uh, on site for a couple years. And we built uh, 100 houses together, uh, Cache Woods uh, in yeah. Unionville. Unionville. Um, Beautiful. 16th Avenue and uh, Warden, I think it was. What year was that? 1990, between 1993 and 95, so I was 23 years old. So between 23 and 25, I was building houses. You know, it's uh, interesting the, the marketing names of subdivisions haven't changed much. Exactly. Cache like, Woods. I, yeah. I could feel, I could see that being a... Uh, I think they're still building houses exactly. in that community. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a great, it was a great experience. I was lucky to have had that opportunity and um, they were uh, very good to me and it was a, a crash course to learn the production housing business and I did all the marketing. Uh, I sold the houses on the weekends in the trailer. Um, I just loved it. You know, I, I loved the smell of wood, the trades, the um, getting up early in the morning and all that kind of stuff. And so I did that until 1995. And then I left and opened my own company, um, Free Developments. And I started, I was really a general contractor. I was renovating people's basements. Yeah, you were a basements guy. Yeah, yeah I well, I didn't that. focus on basements. You know, I, wasn't <laughs> like, I wasn't like, you know, living in bay, but I did a lot of basements. I built custom homes, cottages, um, and started to see the picture that if you were going to make money in this business, you really wanted to get into the development side of things. And 1993 was a good time to learn because the economy was a mess. And really, there, you know, historically, there were two margins in the business to service lots and sell homes. At that point in time, there was almost no margins combined. Yeah. And it was pretty hands-on. And um, But anyway, uh, from there, my I guess my break was another friend introduced me to um, Stephen Goldhar when I was 27, 26, 25, actually. Some good friends, <laughs> and I built uh, <laughs> I built some houses with Stephen in Aurora for a couple years, and then I think we built 20, 20 or twenty five large like estate homes, and then the first development deal I found was a land assembly at Young and Shepherd, and Stephen introduced me to his father Leo, and Leo was my first investor and financed my first few projects. And um, we developed uh, about a thousand units together over a handful of years. Wow. We did a site in Brampton that we developed, a couple sites in Toronto. And uh, we'd meet for breakfast at uh, Bagel World or United Dairy at uh, six in the morning and have coffee. And I was the young guy running around finding the sites and doing the work. And he was advising me and teaching me and providing me capital to wow. do what I was doing because I didn't have any capital. So I was very fortunate to have those early um, partnerships and um, uh, relationships uh, who entrusted me to, um, to do what I was doing. And fortunately, we, we, we did well financially and it, it grew from there. So 
I only did low rise for the first 10 years of my career because there really wasn't a condo market in the 90s. Well, there wasn't a condo market in the 90s. Really only started to you know, come back a little bit in 01, 02, 03, barely. And then it started to make sense in well, 03, 04, 05. And then it exploded in 06, 07. And it's been obviously very busy since. But, but I didn't do my first condo building until... 2002, when I was uh, 32 years old, uh, and that's that was my first project in King West. So that was my, you know, how I started, it, which took me up to, you know, yeah, that point in my that career. That point. So 2002. So it's been uh, 18, 19 years building and building. I mean, I guess you're not really as active in the King West area anymore, but your office is still there. Some of your landmark projects are still there. Um, yeah, we, what, have what, bunch, what, we have a bunch of retail. Let me ask you though. This is this is one of you know if I could pinpoint you know one of your key strengths it's definitely having like the foresight to see uh, a neighborhood or uh, a community before it becomes that obviously king west when you bought your first piece of dirt there must have been obviously it wasn't what it was today but not only that it was it was empty. pretty run down it, it was, was empty. empty it might have i don't want to use the word like ghetto or scary or dangerous but probably borderline um, so were you down there just sipping drinks one day and said, "Hey, no, no, this, this is a good place." I could see a, a bunch of girls in high heels and short skirts lining up for clubs around here. I'm going to build a condo. Well, hey, look, uh, I'm not going to lie. I was there in the '90s having drinks. You know, there was uh, Rotterdam's at the corner of Portland and King. That was a a big popular bar back in those days. But the neighborhood was basically a bankrupt textiles industry or former textiles industry neighborhood, and it wasn't until Barbara Hall, former mayor, uh, designated you know the two kings, King East and King West, as uh, RA zoning, reinvestment area zoning, which basically allowed you to go up to ten stories and do pretty much any any type of use, where capital started going back into those neighborhoods and resetting them and, and um, reinventing them. And for me. Um, you know, to be honest, I, I used to drive around those neighborhoods during the day and take pictures. I used to have a camera, and I like to, I've, you know, I've grown up in Toronto. I love Was it a digital camera, or was it? Uh, it was film. old school. It was old school. Yes. It wasn't like a Polaroid. <laughs> you know, you'd have to wait until like a square photo came out of it or anything. But it was, you had to take sort the film of, down in the corner to those. Sort of in between. Yeah, yeah, sort of in between. Yeah. But, you know, the area was obvious to me as a, as a special place that had a great history there's a lot of old great brick and beam buildings there. And, you know, you can walk to the financial core. You could walk to the lake. You could walk to Queen Street. Like, honestly, if somebody couldn't figure that part out yeah. or see that, they're, you know, they're obviously, they obviously don't see too well. They don't think too well. Because to me, it well, was obviously a lot of people didn't clear. see it because, you, you know, you were the leader down there. So I, yeah. I, I wrote down the I wrote down a number here. February two thousand four, you paid two point three million for sixty six Portland, which right. was thirty dollars yeah. per buildable square foot. Yeah, that was the big move. And, I, and that was not expensive at the time too. <clears throat> to be honest, well, look, there was it was an emerging market. There was no market. Right. There was no precedent. And you know that's the most important point. It doesn't take a genius to look backwards and point at seven things that already happened and what the math was. Right. I mean, a grade two student could do that. Maybe even a, a really smart kindergarten student could do that. But when you go to a, a market that doesn't exist yet and you have to forecast and vision and make some assumptions that you have no point of reference to, 
that's uh, that's not an easy thing to do, and it's and it's a risky thing to do. So a lot of people don't need to take risks like that. A lot of people don't want to take risks like that. But when you're a young kid and you don't have anything, you don't really have anything to lose, and you're wanting to get busy and start your career, and your instincts are telling you, um, hey, this is a pretty amazing area with potential. You, if you're an entrepreneur and you can handle some risk, you decide to take that risk. And for me, I was very nervous when I did that first building. I'd done all these other low-rise projects and had some good success um, at them. But condos were not yet popular. And, um, you know, it was one step at a time. It was sort of an incremental risk uh, program. So with 66 Portland, when we bought that, it was an 80-unit building. And it, we launched it, and we sold. We were selling at three hundred twenty-five dollars a foot. And uh, our, for our performance was, you know, we were now. hoping to make three million bucks. Wow. We ended up making three million bucks. Like it worked. It was a successful project. But when it was half sold, you know, we had enough confidence to go and buy the next little site. Right. And it was like that for a couple of years, until '04 when we bought the Crangle Auto site which is a big site which is where the thompson hotel project is but well, you have to you have to tell us that uh obviously you had brad lamb selling your projects did you seek him out or did did uh did uh he come to you trying to sell your stuff no well once i had tied up the um the site Sorry, put it on wine the contract, break <laughs> um you know you, you take a look around and you say all right who's who's active in this market who knows what's going on and he had already been there for a couple of years ahead of me. Um, he was acting as a broker, selling a, a, a few projects. I think the Niagara, 20 Niagara, I think it was called, right yeah. in the park. And he had been involved in the candy factory lofts with Harry Stinson before <laughs> that even. And so Brad knew what was going on. And I actually, you know, when I met with him, um, he was the one who actually suggested I, I meet with core architects, Charles Gain and those guys. And they're a great, great group, and but I, I met them through Brad, and I ended up doing I don't know ten projects with them over wow. the next ten years. But um, Brad suggested that, and yeah, Brad sold my first uh, handful of projects, and, and and then he started becoming a developer, which was a you know a bit of a conflict. So we uh, we started our own brokerage, BSR brokerage, and you know we're all entrepreneurs making a living and um, doing our thing, and uh, but yeah, that's that's. That's how and that started. Did you always see yourself? I guess this is a hard question, but did you always see yourself as a hotel guy, or what? What got you? What got you the confidence to say, "Okay, I'm going to build a premium luxury hotel"? Well, well, for me, like hotels, golf courses, bars, restaurants, a lot of things that we've ended up doing, um, and a lot of assets that we currently own, really were the uh, amenity, the lifestyle component of the real estate um, development business plan that we were engaging in. So. I wanted to create a destination. I wanted to create a uh, property that I would want to live in. Right. And when I bought the Crangle Auto site, um, I visioned a hotel condo exactly the way I would want it to be as if I lived in it. So I, um, you know, I wanted to do a rooftop pool. I wanted a view back to the city skyline and the lake. I wanted a lobby bar. You know, a lot of these things from traveling around the world, you see... You know, in the 90s, you go to Delano, Miami, and you walk in that lobby and it blows your mind, or you go to London, England, or 
or Spain or wherever you're going, um, and you, you get inspiration from things that you mm. see, feel, and experience. And I've always taken those um, cues and then um, you know put them into a recipe uh, uh, into my my developments. And it's more a, a joy life kind of recipe. Like what would what would you want? You know that type yeah, of thing. Yeah. And, and so you had no idea that you would be you know one of the hottest spots in the entire city. Well, the funny thing is when I first announced I was going to do a hotel boutique hotel at Bathurst and King, all the hotel experts, you know, they were basically, all the consultants, they were just telling me that, you know, like Bathurst, you're going to build a hotel at Bathurst? Like, they used to <laughs> refer to Bathurst as like the edge of the world. Yeah. <laughs> because Toronto, Toronto West was a bunch of abandoned buildings and parking lots, and no one was there. So um, we ended up having the best occupancy in the city, you know, once we were open and the hotel always did very well. But when I proposed it, um, yeah, everyone just thought it was crazy and it was going to be a, a colossal <laughs> failure, but it was actually a big success. And um, we were sort of ahead of the curve. We had Brian from Lifetime on a couple episodes ago and we talked a bit, bit about uh, the Liberty Market area and how desolate that was for quite some time actually for years abandoned buildings a lot of old brick and beam and who would have ever thought that that would have become like the condo node it's become it's well i remember looking at that whole area that obviously was the old massey ferguson plant and um it lay uh dormant for years because it was a very um polluted uh area with a lot of complications and in the old days when i say old days i mean 80s and prior yeah. I was in high school in the 80s so <laughs> you know up until perhaps sometime in the not late 90s the city changed the legislation with con contaminated sites so people could actually acquire them and develop them without assuming liability it, it, look if there was an old factory there that leached tox toxins for six miles in each direction if you were going to be liable to go clean up six everything. miles in each direction, obviously you were not going to take on that liability. Right. So everything was effectively frozen. So when they changed the legislation, it put people in a position to develop these sites one at a time, remediate them, bathtub them, you know, essentially remove all the, the pollute, uh, uh, pollution and um, sort of wrap it in a new, healthier way. But so... Yeah, Liberty Village is uh, gave way spectacular to, uh, to, to, to some developments that probably otherwise wouldn't have been there. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Well, I, I wanted to ask you. You've had a lot of partners, and we just saw your business card wall on the on, on the way up. Um, you know, you've got Lash Developments, Tricon, Capital Developments, Minto, Alad, Harhe, Trolleybus, Fengate. That's just like a, a few of them. Um, maybe tell us a little about what what you look for in a partner and uh, and, uh, and and how maybe if there's any one of those that stuck out as a interesting story well we've we've done a lot of projects with a lot of people um, obviously I'm not going to go through give you chronological history <laughs> of my partners uh, we, could, we could go through your high school girlfriends uh, <laughs> some of your other uh, history things in a minute I'm gonna come right back at you you know so just be careful with those questions <laughs> All kidding aside, um, we've done a lot. We've had a lot of great partners. We did three exciting buildings with Lash. Um, they were my first partner in King West. We did 66 Portland, 20 Stewart, and um, uh, Adelaide uh, together. And um, we uh, were really at the forefront. And 
his family, great family. They they continue to do a lot of development. And they've owned industrial and uh, apartment buildings uh, for for decades and decades. And um, uh, they were great. And you know, I started to grow very quickly. And um, you know, they had I think enough exposure at that point in time with me on three projects. But <laughs> I then bought um, the Krangle Auto site and did an assembly on um, Portland for the 75 Portland Philippe Stark project. And at that point, um, one of my partners from New York partnered with me at Time Equities. We've been partners for 18 years and we developed um, uh, the Thompson Hotel project together and my Muskoka Bay project together. And with Tricon, we, we developed three projects with them. Fashion House, uh, 75 Portland, and 650 King. So we developed almost a thousand units together. Um, they've go gone on to grow into a you know very large publicly traded company, and their business models evolved over the last ten years. Fashion House is with the keg. I yeah, tell you that correct. was that was a try. Okay, I didn't realize yeah. that. And, That's um, a great property. And look, Alad, um, we we partner with them on Galleria. Um, that's the only project we've ever partnered with them on. We rezone it together, and then they were um, they were growing very aggressively and issuing bonds in, yeah. in Israel, and they gave us an unsolicited big offer to sell. And tell us a bit so about let's sold. talk a bit about that project because it is interesting. It's mm -hmm. it's massive. It's huge. It's yeah. off of Dufferin, another area that obviously I remember driving through that intersection through that mall seven years ago. Mm. Yeah, seven eight years ago. I, ch I held a charity event at college in Dufferin at Revival, and it's got to be at least seven, eight years ago. And then you, you, my, my friends who I was r running it with ju lived just north. And I mean, like, that wasn't somewhere I wanted to live. But now it's being marketed <laughs> as, like, sort of like the next chic, yeah. cool right. community. I was playing basketball with Ryan, and he said, yeah. what, what, what do you think we should launch out there? I'm like, over a thousand bucks a foot. And he That's was even, he was even shocked, bonkers, right? Yeah. When I, when, I mean, when like, I what, what gave right? you, again, like, was there something, what, what, what triggered that for you? Because sure. obviously you, you, you tied that up first, and then you brought Eli in, yeah. right? Yep. Yeah. So that project had been for sale on and off for years, maybe 10 years. It was owned by um, two families who uh, had developed the mall in the early 70s. And uh, they went in and got approvals for about a million feet, um, probably over 10 years ago. And um, I was trying to buy it for years. And I finally uh, connected with the families and was having a real discussion. And their, their approved plan at that point was, was very outdated. Um, it was, uh, you know, 10, 12 story buildings, but covering the entire site. And it's a lot of land. There's only 12 acres of land there. It's and, it's, and it's on an eight acre park. So yeah. it's really 20 acres of land, which is basically virtually impossible to find in an urban uh, surrounding. So I felt that it was outdated. I felt I could intensify it further, revision it, rezone it, do a deal with the city, with the park create a bigger park, more height, um, Can I ask you a question? new just community just center. Interrupt you, and I'm, I'm just like curious like on your thought process. I was on a roll there, Steve. You I know, jumped but in, I, you, no, no, you but, totally but, fucked up. But like, are you allowed to swear on the show? Are you lying, are you lying <laughs> in bed and you're, and you're like, okay, that, what they have here is shit. There's shit. Like million square feet, I can do better. Like when, from the time you wake up to the time you fall asleep, are you thinking about, I can do, there's more. 
I, like, when does the vision come to you? I know it's a deep well, question, I, but I, I'm no, curious. No, no, I, I'm, I'm blessed and cursed with great vision. I'm, yeah. I'm horrible at a lot of things, and fortunately, I'm, I'm great at a few things, or at least I'm very, I think I'm very good at a few things. And I can look at a property, and in my mind, I understand the zoning rights of the property because I'm in the business, and right. I know, I know the OP. You know, I know the official plan of the city. Yeah. And when a physical building is sitting there and it's two stories and you know that area is OP'd for 40, you can do the grade one math and, you know, <laughs> 40 stories minus three. There's obviously, you know, yeah. an intensification opportunity. So first it's, uh, okay, you can intensify here, but then it's, okay, what is this neighborhood like? What does it look like? What should go here? And then once you go through the basics, then it's then it goes into, okay, what are the opportunities here? Right. And if there's a park or there's a, a great uh, urban street or strip, um, I always think to myself, when you walk out the front door of your building, five steps, where are you? Are you on a highway? Like, are you down a lakeshore where you're near Starbucks, you're going to have to walk 26 minutes up to King Street in the middle of winter and freeze to death? To get yourself or is there a Starbucks latte? across the street? Yeah. Can I walk or my dog building. across the street? Uh, so I go through all these steps and then, and then that's when like design and architecture starts kicking in and then I start molding the physical vision of the site in my mind and if you buy the site, that's when you can assemble a great team of architects and designers to crystallize your vision and advance your vision and make it um, fulsome. Right, that's awesome. So at what point do you start taking this idea from your head and putting it on a piece of paper? With a site? Yeah. Well, if I'm excited, like for example, where the Thompson Hotel is, I wanted to buy that site for years. I used to drive around that site. It was two acres on a park yeah. on Victoria Memorial Park, which is you know such a historical park. Yeah. I don't know, well, you know, it's a graveyard from the War of 1812 era. It's, it's a spectacular area. Um, then I find out who owns it, and I start inquiring, you know, is it for sale? And um, sometimes you have to have a dialogue with an owner for years until mm. they or their estate is ready to transact on and monetize the assets. So, or it's just for sale, yeah. you know, and, and you find out it's for sale, and then you zone in on it, and no pun intended, you gotta, you gotta <laughs> you know, look at it and say, all right, well, how much money do they want? How much density can I get? Is this a good area or not? And um, you do the performas and internalize it and do your risk analysis. And then if it comes out the other side of the car wash looking shiny and-, yeah. and Bada boom, bada bing, yeah, transact, you, yeah. you try and, and yeah, then you, yeah. know, you usually don't even get it 80% of the time. So you have to go through that process. 20 times for every site you buy. Fair. Maybe it's 40 times. No, that's right. It's the same it. thing with, with our business, every business. I think you, you try 100 times and you might do 5 or 10, right? Exactly. That's how it goes. Exactly. And, I, and I did interrupt you on the Galleria thing. I don't, I don't know if you <laughs> want to okay. go back to it or if, we, or if we're done there. No, no, I already forgot what you're talking about. Let's move on to something. Okay, let me ask you another question. And this is another site that, again, foresight, vision, even when I go there today, I'm like this is starting to make sense when you look at what's going on at Young and Eglinton, but like who in the right mind would have ever bought those Red Pass sites except for you? And like not, not only bought them, but obviously knocked it out of the park, great partner with capital developments, mm -hmm. but like residential neighborhood. Yeah, there's some density there. And I guess this will go back to your OP point, but you know, you're tearing down homes with literally like single family homes behind you on all four sides. Right. And then let's put two big condos in the middle of like the residential neighborhood. I know you're close to 
Mount Pleasant and Eglinton and Young and Eglinton. I mean, it makes sense now, but what year did you probably bought that 10 years ago, at least? Yeah, well, the story goes, um, you know, first we bought the art shop property. Again, that was my sort of my next question, so I could have started Well, I was that. just kind of going chronological. It's like art shop for, for me happened first. Right. Um, Which for those who are listening is basically across and south of the Mandarin on Young Street, south of Eglinton. Yeah, so, um, you know, the Offen family, I grew up uh, knowing the Offen family. Um, what was it? Sorry? Was it, was it a furniture store? Yeah, it was a furniture store for 75 years on that, in that location. And a friend of mine um, who knows the family uh, caught wind that they might be finally ready to sell. They had, you know, they'd been, they'd been approached for decades to sell. It was an entire city block, you know, Young and Eglinton. So, um, so we aggressively followed up on that lead and we came to terms and, and we, we put it into contract. And um, once we had purchased that property, uh, capital developments and, and free developments, the joint venture that, that I put together, I had started working on a land assembly at Red Path and Roehampton. Uh, there was a parking lot there and there was a bunch of older homes along the um, southwest corner of that street sort of behind where the old Golden Griddle used to be on the corner. I kind of grew up going to that Golden Griddle. <laughs> I remember going to Golden yeah, Griddle at, like when I was young. Before it's very you, smoky yeah, back smoky in the day. Yeah, you'd go like, late at night. Or I, I yeah. remember having a few nights where uh, after drinking, you'd show up for yeah, some flapjacks. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was uh, great. It was, it was great. It was great. Like, it was so many memories school. there. Yeah. It was have, like Steak Pit on Avenue Road. they have the flavored syrup, the maple syrup? Yeah, they did. They also had one on Laird. If you remember, they had a Golden Griddle on Laird. which remember Franz? Oh, Franz was so good. I grew up at France, you know, it was yeah. open 24 hours a day. They had, they still have the one. I think actually, I saw it due to COVID. It's it was one downtown. Yeah, there was, but it was there was a COVID. Uh, um, I don't know, whatever you want to call it. Another one bites dust. Oh yeah, yeah. So um, anyway, that neighborhood really was never a low-rise single-family home neighborhood to me. It was an apartment building neighborhood. It's crazy because so. when you drive around, it's all single-family homes. Well, there's a lot of apartment buildings in that neighborhood. So I guess there's, there's, there's dozens and dozens right. of apartment buildings going all the way up, like 10 blocks north. So to me, that was the first east-west street north of Eglinton. And again, official plan right off of you know subway stations. It was uh, prime for intensification. When we started assembling, we bought 23 properties. Again, I did that project with Capital Developments. And um, we assembled 23 properties. Um, but we were making progress on the southwest corner, and then we were starting to look across the street, and there was more homes over there. We figured, hey, let's see if we can do another. Well, I do one if we can do two. <laughs> yeah, why not? So, long story short, we ended up doing. I think that's two, how two, two for towers. one pizza started. Eh? And they're like, well, I deliver one pizza, you can deliver two. <laughs> yeah, so so we ended up. I think we developed eleven hundred condos and did two towers on that corner. Yeah, and it's um, been it's turned out great. And it's beautiful. The artwork's great. great. Yeah, the retail's great. Got my haircut at uh, what's the what's the barber shop there called? Uh, Coda Man or something like that. Anyway, either of us, I got our haircuts. I have not <laughs> got these hairs cut I, I in a long time. I don't have enough hair to get <laughs> there. But, um, you yeah, know, so that's a great that's a great area. Young and Eglinton is the center of the city, transit wise. You it's, know? so it's, it's it is enormous. now. And when you're there, actually, I drove through there uh, a week ago today, or yeah, a week ago today, and uh, it's every time you know, I drive through, I don't go over that often, but it's getting crazier and busier and 
it's becoming like its own little neighborhood. So I have to ask you one question just because he's a friend of ours, friend of the show is Matt Young. Matt, Matt worked on you with you on uh, those three projects. He was pretty pumped about it. He wants to come on the show. Do you think we should have him on? <laughs> sure, why not? And he, uh, you know, he 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 didn't work on the art shop project, but he worked on Red Path, and he was the project manager for uh, for us there. And he had uh, worked at Lifetime Homes before that. And yeah. Now he's uh, gone off and opened up his own company. Yeah, he's doing well. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, he did a great job on that project. And one other question about the art shop is uh, you had Carl Lagerfeld mm-hmm. as, uh, I guess, the lobby designer. Mm-hmm. Was that your idea? How did that all come together? Rest in peace, Carl. Sure. Um, <laughs> well, well, both Capital Developments and Freed, we, were, um, we spent a lot of time working on our strategy for that project. It was a special site. We wanted to do something special. And the market is also competitive, so we wanted to do something to stand out from our competitors. And we, um, when we had decided, you know, we kind of reviewed, looked into what interesting, talented people in the world might be available to collaborate with us on that. So we went through a process. And um, uh, ultimately we decided to, to work with him. And we flew to uh, Paris and um, met with him at his office. And he, he <laughs> took us cool. to one of his homes and, uh, he took us into his closet. You should, like I was in Carl Lagerfeld's closet. That's I mean, awesome. I mean, that's uh, wow. Pretty, uh, pretty unique. What was that but, like? How big was his closet? Well, Bigger look, than this room? I'll tell you. I'll tell you. He sitting with him yeah. in his office in Paris was quite a quite an experience. Um, you know, to sit with him in person. First of all, he has one of the largest book collections in the world, and his office, the walls are just stacks of books. And it's almost like the wallpaper of his office is, are these books that go floor to ceiling. And uh, like, see, the, there's a picture over there on the, on the wall, and like, that's oh, yeah. one of his offices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, that's pretty did, cool. Did, yeah. Do you wear the sunglasses inside? Well, this is the thing when you're sitting with him in person, face to face, it's kind of like you have a meeting with Batman because he's like in full costume. You know, he's yeah. got his. His famous wig and his glasses and his gloves and his tie and his collar. So he doesn't take the gloves off. No, he's, All the he's, look, he's he's an icon. He's an iconic figure. He's like just <laughs> he's, he's surreal. You know, he's, he's surreal. Yeah. yeah. But to to talk to the man and to be in his office and in the old French Quarter in Paris and we walked down the street. He had a home around the corner and to see people wave to him and cars honking when you're walking down the streets of wow. Paris. You know, as as a young entrepreneur from Toronto to, um, you know, it was like when, when we worked with Philippe Stark, going to London, England and, and meeting with him in his office. And these are the types of experiences that really shape you. And um, uh, you don't forget about these experiences and they're, they're special. And I, those are my favorite parts of the business. Um, of course, you have to try to make money and returns for the capital and all the things that we you know, do as an industry. But to meet interesting people in, in the greatest cities in the world and to import those talents and bake those skill sets into your own projects and then build them and they're permanently there. Yeah. That's why I do what I do. That's cool. That's awesome. That's good so, answer. Yeah, I used to, uh, me and my dad, who's like an electrical engineer, we used to watch fashion television, so I, I, right. I so we were we we definitely knew Carl Lagerfeld. But you, you've bought the Toronto Fashion Week. How did that come about? 
Well, I had. Um, Wait, you bought the fu- Toronto well, well, Fashion Week? Well, just sorry, this is going let him, back. Let him, let him do this well, story. Yeah, let's start right here. Come on. Start. <laughs> ten, ten years ago, um, Robin Kay, who ran, founded, and ran Toronto Fashion Week, um, she lived in one of my buildings, and um, she had put me on the on the board of Toronto Fashion Week with uh, Joe Mimran and some other um, great people, and. Um, it was just a great event for the city, and I love Toronto, and I got involved with that because she asked me to at the time, and a number of years later, uh, it had come for sale because IMG was selling the trademark and the rights. So um, we purchased the trademark and Toronto Fashion Week with some other uh, partners and um, through a few uh, events, you know, pre-COVID, and. Uh, I'm not really involved with that very much anymore. <laughs> it was, you know, the intent was to just do a good event for Toronto. That's it. Um, no other agenda. It's it's a always been a money losing um, platform. It's more about culture and fashion and Toronto and um, trying to contribute. Um, other than that, I had I had no uh, uh, you know, no interest. Yeah. Yeah, I just thought it'd be interesting to have some models come through your the sales center. You know, other that's you, know, you don't need to do, you don't need to buy on. Toronto Fashion Week if you want to hire some models to go through. A, a <laughs> so that, that costs like three grand. Like anyone, if you want some models, you, know, you spend three grand and you got some models. So one, one of the things Ben and I have been talking about, um, and and you'd be a great guy to ask this is uh, the the idea. Maybe I'll even pass it over to Ben. But the idea of putting more amenity spaces and like better use of the lobbies in condos. Um, and the idea that we had or have had is, you know, why aren't we putting or why aren't developers putting lobby bars that are owned or run or operated or brokered out to third parties in the in the lobbies of some of your condos? Have you thought about that? Tried to do it? I know, obviously, with the hotel component, it's easier to do. But I feel like the lobby space, going back to the Carl Lagerfeld conversation, is just underutilized. It's big, well, big ceilings, huge space. Mm-hmm. No one uses it. We've done many bars and restaurants on the roofs of our buildings and the lobbies of our buildings. We've we've been the leader of that in, in the in the country, yeah. let alone Toronto. Yeah. We've done we've probably built a hundred million dollars for the bars and restaurants in our buildings. But they're always like condo corped out to or, or or pieced off, aren't they? No, we own we own them all when we do them. We don't piece them out at all. We we own the real estate, we pay ourselves rent and we yeah. open bars and restaurants. So okay. that's something that we've done in a big way. Um, look, I, I love uh, energy and design. And, and again, back to if I was living in a building, I would want a, a nice, a, a beautiful lobby bar. Not an insane, crazy lobby bar, but a place to go and get great sushi or, or, or another kind of food and listen to great music and see uh, you know, a culturally diverse group of people smiling and interacting and enjoying life. And like, to me, that's, that's what life's all about. Yeah. That's not for everybody though. Some people just want peace and quiet and they don't want anyone around and they should probably live on a farm 60 (laughs) kilometers out of the city, but that's just my personal opinion. But you know, I don't know, maybe you want to move. So I'm going to, to a more quiet. I'm going to tell an interesting story. You, you've heard the story, Peter, because you were there, but you, you'll laugh because it's it's still funny to me to this day, but I'm going to tell Ben. So when Peter was building, not the Thompson Hotel, the Thompson Residences, we where, were looking... Where Laval is. Where Laval is. So we were, we were looking to do... Um, I won't get into it. We were looking to do some financing. 
which included some of the retail space. So the retail space included the first and second floor on the ground facing King Street, as well as all the retail on the roof. And our investor base is made up of private and institutional investors, and we blend the capital. And some of our institutional investors are from out west. And one of the big partners we have is from Saskatchewan, head office in Calgary, but their term financiers are in, are based out of Saskatchewan, Regina. So we had this guy come in, I'll never forget this, from Regina. And we took him to the site because we were saying, okay, we're going to do like some takeout financing. on the site on, or uh, next door to the site? No, no. We, we tried to coax him after to go to the next door site, but we didn't get him there. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, and we were, I'm trying to explain this concept to him. And if you've been to Lavelle, you go to, you're, you're at King and... Bathurst, right? Is it just yeah, in between King and Portland and King and Bathurst, and you to get to the rooftop. So if you haven't been to Lavelle, it's the rooftop. It's, it's a pool and a beautiful restaurant and a nice bar, and it's outside. It's amazing. It's it's of beautiful city of downtown. <laughs> yeah, but you go down these stairs and then you get an elevator and you go up to the rooftop. And we we were trying to explain. I, I'll never forget this. He's like, this is this will never work. This this makes absolutely no sense. You're telling me that people are going to line up, that young people are going to line up on King Street to go down a flight of stairs, to get on an elevator, to go to a rooftop, to get a drink? I'm like, absolutely. <laughs> like, this, it's like actually quite genius. People will be like paying probably $20 a head to get into this place, to go down those stairs, to get upstairs, to pay $25 to get the drink. And uh, and his mind, it was just like he'd entered a whole new a like, universe. Disconnect. It, it so do you want to know want to know why we did that? Yes. So when I opened the uh, Thompson Hotel, it was so busy in the first couple of years when we opened. Um, the crowds of people were, you know, it was it was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. Some nights, a thousand or two people mm. who wanted to get into the building. It was an issue. So the concept on King Street was move the crowd off the street downstairs before you send them upstairs. And once you go to Laval, you would know it's, it's one of a kind place in, in Canada. You know, it's 15,000 feet on it's a beautiful. roof with pools and um, they're gonna either like that kind of place or, or they're not, but um, how they enter it is not relevant. But right. I love when I hear people who are so hell bent on, look, some of the coolest places that I ever went to, Peter hold on, Wood. in New York, for example, you would go into, okay, Roosevelt Hotel in Los Angeles. Yeah. There was a Beautiful. bar called Teddy's, I think it was, where you walk, go in the lobby. There is no entrance. You either know that behind that curtain in the corner is the door to get in there, or you don't know that. Right. And the whole point is they don't want you to know about it if you don't know about it, because they don't want you to go there. Right. All the people who go there know about it. Right. And that was the, even on that show Entourage, they would joke that, um, Vince had to get them into that bar because no one else was allowed to go in because right, they, they only right. wanted 50 like movie stars in there for example or <laughs> whatever but so anyway there's all these little gimmicks and yeah yeah no I, I just I always remember that story and, but I mean in, in fairness to this guy I mean you were 50% way through construction. It was a construction site so it's hard to envision what Lavelle was going to be talking about you had a, I think a Michelin three, chef. four, yes, yeah, star chef there. And once you're in there and you're eating there, it makes complete sense. But you go there and, again, having the vision to understand it ahead of time is hard. hard and I'll never even forget, so this is even another funny story. And total coincidence, we hired this consultant who came to work for us for six months, and he was also from Regina. We were doing this. What's like, with this, these people from Regina? I don't know. This It's complete coincidence. <laughs> Anyways, we're like, you should rent somewhere. He was coming in on Monday morning and leaving Thursday night. We're like, just rent an apartment and 
we'll, whatever you pick where it is. So, and he came going back to like people in their fifties, sixties, he was like in his mid fifties and he decided to rent a 600 square foot unit in Lavelle or in uh, the Thompson residence. He came in the next day. He's like, yeah, it's a little louder than I expected. I'm like, what are you thinking? Like, first of all, our office is like east of Young. You should rent something quiet on the east side of Young, not like King West Central. So, so you, you, you pay yourself rents or have you written yourself a letter saying that it's COVID and you can't make your rent? For your restaurants, say that question again. Sorry, I, I, I didn't. I wasn't. I wasn't. wasn't clear to me what the actual you question know, obviously was. Obviously, COVID has shut down a lot of the restaurants. And people aren't paying their rent, and if you're paying rent to yourself, how does how does that conversation go? Well, you know, you begrudgingly pay yourself rent. <laughs> you know, but uh, yeah, COVID has um, been uh, intense for for many many parts of the city, many industries. But yeah, food and beverage is been struggling a big time I, I feel bad for so many small business owners in the city you know uh, you know the government can uh, open big box stores and sell alcohol in the LCBO and they, they shut down mom-and-pop operations who would have two three people visiting at a time with masks it's so offside. I don't even want to go there. I do. I'm Let's not go into there. politics. I hate politics. Let's fucking go, Peter. No, no, no you're not going to do I that. Think we're, I, I think all three of us are in agreement. That, yeah, yeah, it just it's, doesn't it's make a lot of sense. It's infuriating. I, 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 I said this. I've, I've made this comment. But I mean, if you go to a Costco on a Saturday afternoon and, that, and you're okay with what's going on there and then you leave and you see what's going on on, on Queen West, Queen, Queen East for that matter, or King East, or it's just devastating and the fact that Ford can <clears throat> continue to allow it to happen I don't know it's just not fair well, it's, not, it's, not, it's not it's not his <laughs> it's, it's not like he, he's a great I think he's a great mayor um, I'm, I'm a huge fan he, he's he's um, Tory never uh, Tory is uh, yeah, no, I, yeah I he's incredible I, I think he's incredible he, he I don't know where he gets the energy he just never stops it's the running a lot shoes. of people a lot of people have you know their own opinions I think he's a great mayor I, I just think that um you know, when things get over-politicized and complicated, and there's, I can't imagine anything more complicated than COVID and health and the risk and all the people that have been impacted, Correct. it's a, it's a mess. Um, but um, you know, hopefully, uh, we're at a point where, in a responsible way, everyone could be on an equal platform and start to open up again. But hey, it's not my. So I'm, could, not, I'm not in well, charge. Could, could we see Peter Frieda in politics one day? Never. <laughs> no, I, no, I get. I would get crucified in politics. <laughs> well, well, speak, speaking of politics, and uh, I, I, there was a lot of controversy when you had your you were you know going through the planning process for your townhomes on that's Keywatton. Keywatton is Keywatton, that what you said? Yeah, sure. sure. Uh, how do you feel about the NIMBYs? Is that, is that something you lose sleep over? You just realize that's just part of the process. It is what it is. You know, like I, um, like many things in life, um, I understand uh, why different people have different opinions. They're they're impacted by by certain things, and when people are impacted by by something, they're going to have an opinion about it. And uh, as far as Keywatton, you know that that was a strange initial. Um, process for me because you know on the south side of the street there's a 35 story apartment building <laughs> and on the north side of the street there are four story apartment buildings that go right to the back of the lot and we proposed two rows of townhomes that were three and a half stories like half below grade and three and a half above grade and I found out um, that Kathleen Wynn uh, lived on Keywatton 
And apparently, Yikes. you know, yeah. uh, I, I think it's maybe, let's just call it a coincidence that that planning file didn't go uh, well. And, I didn't know um, that part of the story. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and whatever. So we, we got a bad decision that um, allowed us to do one row but not two rows, uh, unfortunately. So we canceled the original project, went back to the OMB, got it reapproved with one row. And, um, and, and now we're going to take it to market in a month or two and sell it. But um, look, this business is complicated. Life is complicated. Planning a community is complicated. And different people have different agendas and also get impacted by things differently. And I'm at a point in my life where, uh, you know, 12,000 or 13,000 units later, uh, I've been through a lot. And I never stop learning from, from this business. It, it humbles me on a regular basis. Um, we've created a lot of value and a lot of great communities. And I've also had my ass handed to me enough times to be really humble. Um, so, you know, that, that's... Have you, have you lost at the OMB? Um, we lost it. Well, that was, uh, I would call that a partial loss. Like, yes, we did not get our plan approved there. That was the first time that happened to me in my career in 25 years. So I was surprised because we don't take a lot of risks on planning. Like, we've always achieved what we thought, uh, you know, more or less. Usually we've slightly, we've achieved slightly more than we underwrote. But you know, you can't be right all the time, and um, sometimes uh, you, you you strike out, or, gotta, you, or good, you know it doesn't work. But I have a good question for you. We actually have a huge uh, contingent of firefighter and uh, police officer listeners on the show. Believe it or not, like t- tons of firefighters, <laughs> we had like and three, three or four of them, no, or thousands of them, and and, and that we had a couple letters. Like I had a couple handwritten letters written into me saying, you know, I can't believe Peter Fried is is tearing down the croc rock. My favorite place. <laughs> well, I feel horrible. I want to, I'll personally want to meet these people and provide them with a new place to go. Okay. Tell us drinks, about, and I will, I will personally take them there yeah. and it'll be on me. And I, I can, I can. Amazing relate. site. Great buy. King sets your partner. Triple A center ice. Doesn't get much better than that. You must be site. excited about it. Very excited. Tell us a little bit about, you know, that, that one, I don't think, no offense, didn't take much vision. I mean, that was a no-brainer. Yeah. Well, look, it's a current file, so I don't want to get too deep into it. Right. Um, but it's uh, it's in a great location, and uh, it's a privilege to have a site like that to develop. And we've hired a great uh, architectural firm out of Chicago um, for that project, and we we want to we want to develop a world-class building there. Yeah. And how many stories do you think? Well, we applied for 68 stories. Um, we'll see where, where, where we land, but it's obviously surrounded by towers. It's a seems like a no, it's no a, brainer. It's in a some good place. For, the the yeah. Geary project is one block to the south and it's like 90 stories. So, you know, I'm assuming the city has said this is a place for height, yeah. you know, <laughs> but you know, there's always these, uh, Never know. <clears throat> these miracles at the city Never where <clears throat> certain people go in there and get twice the zoning that yeah. you think you could achieve and behind the curtains. And you know, something's us, happening. Yeah, us regular people have to get you know beaten to death through a process for every inch. But 
We won't go into that. But <laughs> anyway, that's just uh, call it. It's politics. Yeah. Uh, political capital, I guess some people have. Yeah. I don't. I don't have too much of that. Well, well. Speaking of architects, I know you've done work with Core and Teeple and Raw and Architects Alliance. Is, do you think about your your branding when you're when you're picking architects? How to keep it consistent, or are you just hey, give me a great building, and uh, and, and that's all that I want. No, when when I um, when I buy a site, I know what I want to do on the site. So I don't go to an architect and say, um, you know, like some people um, who have a piece of land or are in this business don't know what project they want or what look they want, and they they want to entrust a reputable consultant, architect, planner, designer to help them with their strategy and vision. When I buy site, I, I really know exactly what I want to put there in context. And I'll hire a team that I feel can help me realize my vision for that site. And then they contribute to it and expand my vision and improve it. It's not all, it's not all me, but I know where we're going with it. And therefore, I know who I should hire to help me uh, bring that to life. And you know, with, with Peter Clues, uh, with the Thompson Hotel and that whole project, and 60 Colburn and uh, the Art Shop and the Red Path Towers, the core, core architects we did, 66 Portland, um, Fashion House, <clears throat> 650 King, 500 Wellington. You know, we got into a groove, and when, you, when you're really comfortable with a talented architect or designer, you can have a lot of fun together uh, realizing uh, and constructing uh, the vision of the space. And, and you can go back and forth a bit and, you know, uh, not argue, but uh, debate, you know, on some items and, um, and end up with something that's um, impactful, that, that, that stands out. Uh, you know, there's so much commodity crap in our city. Yeah. So much gray widget <laughs> nothingness uh, space. A large part of this business is driven by IRR return money, you know, managers uh, or, or people with their own capital. And I respect the capital and what it is and what it does and the returns that it seeks. But creativity and lifestyle and design and IRRs, um, you know, the big part of our business is to try to make it all work. Like not overspend on your budget, but do something cool, do something different. Um, you have to manage risk in a project and there's a lot of risk and responsibility in this business. Quite frankly, it's terrifying sometimes. You know, you're, you're um, borrowing $200 million <laughs> to put up a building and your name is on the loan. and and people are entrusting you to get that money back to them at a certain point in time with an interest rate return or an IRR. <laughs> and if your name's on the door and there's a financial crisis going on or there's a pandemic and all your tenants aren't paying rent and, you know, like I, I love critics, you know. It's a lot of like, you know, lawyers and accountants and, and, and consultants, and they have a lot to say about people, yeah. right? <laughs> Meanwhile, they've never invested a dollar of their own money in a deal in their life. They don't know what it's like to go to bed at night 
when you owe the banks $500 million and there's a financial crisis flying in the door. Um, you know, like it's easy to be critical. separates the, the, the men from the boys, True. you know, the women from the girls, you know, like there's, um, it's a terrifying business and it's not for the faint of heart. And um, a lot of people who have a lot to say, I'd love to see how they would be functioning day to day with their family and their home when their house is on the line or their balance sheet is on the line and, and, you're, and you're running into some headwinds. Because anyone who's really critical of developers who has not had their money on the line, they shouldn't talk so much. They should like do what they do, do their consulting, make their fee, and they should shut the fuck up. <laughs> I love there, it. There's I, my line for the day. I love I, it. I defend developers online all the time and say, how would you like it if your job, you, you had to be so great at your job that if you didn't, you'd lose your house. <clears throat> Do you think that you might be a tad bit more a little tight, or yeah. you might be a little aggressive on pricing, or you might, you know, you might have to value engineer the project a little bit. You okay, know? I mean these things, I'll these things occur. I'll give you, uh, I'll give you another little good little bit. Here we go. Okay, buckle up. It's um, <laughs> if I have another glass of wine, I might, I might, yeah, I better, yeah. I better end the video, uh, the, the the interview in uh, fifteen minutes. But so. Height of the financial crisis. It was uh, February 09. Um, or would that be 08? 08, 09, whatever oh, it kicked it in. Been, it would have been the height. It would have I think been, in Toronto, yeah, it was more like 09. Yeah. Because it hit us hard in, yeah. in, in, in the fall of 08. You're right. So, Thompson Hotel Project, 75 Portland, a bunch of others, all under construction. Um, and. Uh, Things were, were, were terrifying in the world, you know? The whole world was collapsing, frozen, you name it. We all know what happened back then. And um, I'm driving home from the office, and my phone rings. And it's, uh, it's the Royal Bank. And at the time, they were my lead bank. They still have been my lead bank for years. And um, uh, basically, the other, other end of the line was, hey, Peter, how, how are you? I'm good. And they're like, you know you owe us like a quarter billion dollars, right? <laughs> <laughs> what a way to start the call. And there was, I knew there was a lot of other people on the, on the other end of the line. Yeah. I wasn't talking to one person. Did they assume the whole risk department was on the other they end of the didn't line. They didn't give you that heads up, though. You just started yeah. having that <clears throat> right. to know that that's going on. That's so good. it was a short conversation, but it kind of went like this. Um, are you concerned? And I said, well... Of course, I'm, I'm worried because the world is a, is a mess. But you know, we've, we're 90% sold, and um, and here was sort of the, the key point that I at least believed in at the time: the units that we're delivering to the purchasers are still worth more than what they paid for when they bought them. And I think um, you know, I think we're we should be okay. Although I'm, I'm worried. And then I'll never forget what they said next. They said, "Well, what if nobody closes?" I said, well, again, obviously that would be a problem if nobody closed, <laughs> uh, but I believe they will close because the units are worth more than what they paid for them. Look, the worst situation you could be in is if you're putting up units that are now worth 60% of what you sold them to the buyers or less because no one would close because there's no reason to close. No one's going to close and take a loss, right. or at least the average person is not going to close and take a loss. So... Um, 
anyway, that was, it was a terrifying, you know, time and fortunately we paid them back all the money and, you know, all the projects got completed and Toronto fared much better than the U.S. in the financial crisis and we were very fortunate as a city and a market um, to have had the most conservative banks, healthiest banks in the world during that time. But again, that's terrifying stuff. Well, so if you want to be a developer, yeah. be prepared for that type of stuff. I used to do regular market presentations for all the banks, and that would be like the one there's always someone would put up their hand, any closing risk? Are people not closing? And I'm like, it's like 2011. It's like the height of the market. I'm like, yeah, yeah, everyone's closing. And they would tell me like, you know, we did financing in Calgary. We did a 40-unit building, and not one person closed. Yeah, yeah. All <laughs> right, you know, it's just like, oh wow, that's that is definitely pretty scary stuff, right? Well, well so. we're getting near uh, the bottom of the, the bottle of wine here, so maybe it's time to uh, <laughs> to move on to uh, actually, Peter, you love the story. So this podcast airs on, I guess, all streaming services, including Spotify and Apple. <laughs> But on Apple, <laughs> someone went online and they decided to leave a comment for us saying that they love the show, but it just sounds like Steve's always drinking. <laughs> but in fact, this might be the first time that I've actually had a drink during oh, the show. On. You cracked a beer the other Oh, yeah, second, episode. second. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Okay, so well, how we like to end off the show is uh, rapid fire questions. We got 10 questions here. Try and limit your answer to uh, under five words. Never happens. So if you go over, I won't be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> Usually these Shoot. questions turn into uh, it's a long-winded answers, but Ben, okay. take us away. Okay. Fire away. We'll, we'll, we'll go hard on the first one. Yeah. What do you think about MZOs doled out by uh, Steve Clark? Are you a fan? MZO. The ministerial zoning orders, you know, no, no community consultation, just boom, approved. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> Does co-living have legs or is it just a fad? I, it has legs for sure. Yeah. Nice. Nice. I agree. Uh, in your projects, do you think the investors are doing their own research or are they just relying on the brokers, what, what the brokers tell them? Uh, both. Oh, interesting. Really? Yeah. <laughs> no, I, 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 I would hope, our, I would hope and think, credit. you know, I don't, I don't think You're there's a, a lot the, of dumb, dumb money as people would call it out there chasing. Yeah. Like I, I believe that a lot of the people buying condominium units in Toronto are repeat purchasers yeah it's been a massive successful market um, relative to the stock market over the last 15 years and there's a lot of people just re-upping and, and and continuing to do that and they're selective in their um, projects that they buy in and when developers get a little frothy with their ask the market talks back and doesn't buy in and, yeah. and the developers have to adjust there's a yeah. natural equilibrium I think you know, the other projects being place. launched probably keep you honest too, right? So What's they're saying, that? well, the other projects being launched, yeah, right? Sure. Like, like that's probably part of the research. Okay, let's keep going here. Will Freed be accepting Bitcoin anytime <laughs> soon? <laughs> Next question. <laughs> <laughs> Who is worse to deal with, planners or politicians? Uh, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> Who is your least favorite person in this industry? <laughs> No, you don't have to answer that. Yeah, no comment. I'll tell you if, I, no, if no, I was an American my, citizen, I'd be saying I'm taking the fifth. Yeah, no, no, here's my honest question. Who's one person in this industry who's been a, a mentor or someone you've looked up to or provided guidance throughout your career? 
Uh, for me, the number one person would be my partner in New York, Francis Greenberger, who um, financed my Thompson Hotel project and my Muskoka Bay project when I was in my early 30s. Um, he let me uh, execute my vision, didn't get in the way of it, uh, was very supportive, um, went through a lot of hard times with 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 projects and, and, and stood by me as a real, genuine partner. Mm. And there's a lot of people out there who put themselves forward as such, and they're, they're actually they're quite opposite of that. I know a few of those people. I'll hold back by mentioning a short list of those really special people that I <laughs> just love dearly. Um, but he's a real mensch, a real class act, a real... Um, uh, inspiration of entrepreneurship and class nice. and uh, the world has a shortage of people like that. Yeah. Def- there's definitely a few backstabbers in the industry, that's for yeah. sure. Predators, so. predators, that's yeah. a good word. How about this one? Are we in a housing bubble right now? I don't believe we are. I, Toronto, you know, fastest growing city in North America. Um, we ebb and flow with various challenges that I think keep us in check, you know, trade availability, uh, capital, um, pandemics. And, you know, we've we've historically put out 16 to 20,000 units a year constructed wise. We will sell 25, 30,000 units a year. Um, Our uh, vacancy rate with uh, rental, you know, traditionally been around 1%. 80% of the new condo supply is a new rental supply, uh, you know, over the last decade. So I think um, it's the growth, the quality of our city. And it doesn't mean it's not scary at times. And, yeah. and at times it gets a little uh, overheated. Uh, yeah, heated, sure. But I think we get pushed back into the uh, reality box by, by a lot of variables that keep us in check. And one of the biggest conservative uh, characteristics of our market is sell it before you build it. And, you know, when you think about markets where it's build it and then sell it, um, yeah. you know, the states, you know, they, they get no, wildly no out of control. And, I, but I, it's I've one of the there. parts of the business that I find frustrating. I wish you could, I wish you had to sell 40% of a building. Yeah, not 70. Not, not 70, because as developers, you just leave too much money on the table always, you know, or at least in the last 15 years. All the pro you're leaving, you know, 25, 35, sometimes 50% of your true value that you're creating in a building. Sometimes it's 100 to 200%. All right, next question. Who's done more for the city? Vince Carter, Matt Sundin, or Joe Carter? Oh, Joe Carter. That, <laughs> that home run and that smile. What a man. Love that man. Love that man. He should be mayor. Do you Joe agree? Do, do you agree? <laughs> I'm, I'm still mad at Vince Carter for quitting on the team. He didn't so. quit. He Come quit on. on the team. He stopped trying, and then they had to sell him for a bunch of garbage. So I'm still mad. Um, do, we need a, do we need on-site sales presentation centers to sell condos downtown? Not at the moment, no. That's fair. Okay, two-part question. I see you have a lot of guitars in this room. Looks like you're a musical guy. Uh, if you were stuck on a deserted island, this is you got to use your imagination here, and you somehow had power on this deserted island, would you have a, rather have a record player or a guitar with an amp? Guitar with an amp. Ooh. Wow, and this, a second, second part of that question, if you could only play one album on that guitar for the rest of the time, what album would you... Uh, 
Oh, it would be a Neil Young, Neil Young album for sure. Nice. Can we get a little Neil Young sample before we go? <laughs> once we turn off, the, once we turn off the show, we can. Yeah. Well, I think uh, yeah. I think we are getting to the end here. We want to. Uh, Obviously, thank you for your time. And, Thanks, uh, Peter. It's been great. My if, people want, if people want to find you, are you, you know, on TikTok? Are you Instagram? <laughs> no, I'm off the grid. No, don't don't contact me. <laughs> Perfect. That was no, the first no, guest. No. Peter, uh, they have they have lots of. Uh, you can follow the the free developments social accounts and go for, go through that. Right. Absolutely. Listen, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you for uh, hosting us. Thanks Pleasure. for having Thanks, us in your gentlemen. space. And. Thank uh, you. Look forward to uh, what's next at Free Development. Toronto, best city in the world. Final last word. (laughs) Amen. Thank you.